If your Bible turn to Matthew 10, our text from a few weeks ago, verse 29 through 31. Our topic again tonight is victory over insecurity. Jesus begins in verse 29 by asking a question. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall to the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. A few weeks ago when we <clears throat> introduced this topic, we shared a definition of insecurity. And when we are insecure, it's really a lack of confidence or trust, whether it's in ourselves or in someone else. And for Christians especially, and in the world in general, there are many causes of insecurity. But I believe for you and I as children of God, the main reason that we are insecure is because at times we fail, we fail completely to trust God. We know that God can do what? Everything. We know He's a good God all the time. Jeremiah chapter 17 wrote these words in chapter 7 and 8. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters and that spreads out her roots by the river. And shall not see when he cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruits. Two things that are important in verse 7. Blessed is the person, the man or the woman, who trusts in the Lord. Blessed are the ones whose hope is in the Lord. How many tonight would say, Pastor, I'm trusting in the Lord. My hope is in God. We are blessed beyond measure. In Psalm 9, verse 10, we have a wonderful assurance. They that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, has not forsaken them that seek thee. All of us know, as Christians, you've been saved long enough to know that our God is always with us. The psalmist understood that. When we trust God, we know for sure that he hasn't forsaken us and he never will. Jesus himself said, I will never leave you or forsake you even to the end of the age. And when you agree, we know that. We know that's true. And if we know that God is with us, and we do, why do we have times of insecurity, times of doubt, times of fear, 
And why are there so many times that God feels so far away? I think we need to be reminded we are in a spiritual battle. Paul and the King James said, beware of the wiles of the devil. It's a word that means in the Greek, the schemes of Satan. And whether you know it or not, you need to know this. Satan knows what he's doing. His attack on our lives are well planned. Well coordinated. And although Satan is a powerful enemy, he's not all powerful. Only God is that. But one of the biggest weapons that Satan uses against us is to get us to doubt. Just sowing that seed of doubt. Do you remember back in the garden, what was the first thing he said to Eve? Did God really say? He got her to doubt God's word. And folks, you can understand this, make it very clear tonight. Satan loves when he can get us to question who we are, and even how we measure up to others. Because, my friend, we are in a spiritual battle. We mentioned several weeks ago there are several ways insecurity comes to us. Number one is worry about the future. Anybody here ever do that? Yeah. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 31-33, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth you have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Several years ago, we were going down uh, to Gatlinburg to meet Rick and Ruby. Uh, we sometimes go down there for a day or two, against my better judgment. But anyway, we enjoy being with them, and we get a free stay. Can't beat that. And that particular year, Larry and Terry were down there, and uh, we were going down on a Thursday, and we left, and we were planning to meet, uh, city folk call it dinner, I call it supper. And uh, at a certain restaurant, at a certain time, we knew about what time we'd be there. Well, on the way down, I realized I forgot to bring my airless fryer, the one he poured grease in. So we stopped by Walmart and got us one, because I wanted fried taters for breakfast the next morning. So I, I, we got at, 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 we made it on time. I said, now, folks, I said, what you guys don't realize, you were thinking about tonight's meal. I'm already thinking about tomorrow. But Jesus said, take no thought, what shall we eat? So we do worry. 
But those kind of fears are rooted in a doubt about God's provision. And I, and I gotta confess, folks, I find myself there all the time. You ever ask yourself, what if? What am I gonna do if? And we need to know whenever we doubt, Satan wins. So number one, we worry about the future. The second thing is being too occupied or preoccupied with the things of this world. John says in John, 1 John 2.15, love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Most of us tonight have come to the place in our life we realized we will never find security in this world. Isn't that true? Ever. Jesus Christ is our solid rock. Our only hope of security. Matthew seven twenty four. Therefore, whosoever hears these things of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. So number one, worry about the future. Number two, being preoccupied with things of the world. And number three, being preoccupied with ourselves. Have you noticed in our world it's an all about me mentality? I mean, you can come first after me, right? Paul said in Romans 12, verse 3, For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. I mentioned Philippians four nineteen earlier. And my friend... We will only find true security when we realize that God will supply all of our needs according to his riches. Isaiah 26.3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you, or stayed on you, because he trusts in you. How many know that's a promise? A promise of God. Just about every topic in this series, we have boiled it down. Whatever we're dealt with is the answer is found in the doctrine of God's providence. And I think the biblical answer to insecurity is there as well. Four quick things, five quick things, and we just hurry through them. We've already spent some time on them, but about God's providence. Number one, he upholds all things, Hebrews 1.3. Number two, he governs all events, Proverbs 21.1. Number three, he directs everything to its appointed end, Proverbs 16.9. Number four, he does it all the time and in every circumstance, Daniel 2.21. Number five, he always does it for his own glory, John 14.13. So we're looking at some things, we've highlighted a couple already, about how to deal with situations. 
First of all, trouble may come. Let me back up. Trouble will come. But God has not forgotten you. I'm really glad. Again, verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? We talked about two invocations of that a couple of weeks ago. Sparrows do fall. And just as sure as sparrows fall, sooner or later trouble comes into our lives. The second principle there, the implication of that truth is, when the sparrow falls, he falls according to God's will. And everything that happens takes place according to the counsel and the decree of Almighty God. That includes our pain, our suffering, our loss. It applies to our heartache of what we're facing. And there are so many things in life that catch us off guard. Guess what catches God off guard? Nothing. So number one, trouble may come and will come, but God hasn't forgotten us. Number two, when trouble comes, God cares for the smallest details of life. We talked about this two weeks ago, Matthew 10, 30. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. We're not going to go into the detail we did a few weeks ago on that. But I think you'll agree, I've never counted the number of hairs on my head, but God does. He knows them. But how many know that God is not trying to show us how much he cares about our hair or our sparrows? The application is clear. If God, and he does, if God cares for things that matter so little, then surely he cares for things that matter much more. And if God knows... every hair on my head, he knows me as well, and he knows you. And here's what I love about this. God's knowledge about me and about you is not general knowledge. It's specific knowledge, if I can say it. God knows us better than we know ourselves. And I see what Jesus said about God knowing the number of hairs on my head. It tells me then that God is concerned about the smallest details of my life. So what's the point, Jesus? The point is this. Because God is aware of everything that happens to sparrows. Because God knows every tiny detail about us. Jesus says, we have no reason to be afraid. So yes, sparrows do fall to the ground. God's people will die if Jesus tarries. 
and some will be martyred. But understand something. As much as God cares for sparrows and watches over them, as much as he knows about the hair on our head, you and I are so valuable, he sent his son to die for us. Isn't that amazing? And that fact alone, that God has placed such value on us, we don't need to be afraid of personal threats, and we don't need to be afraid of trials. Folks, do you realize tonight that our Heavenly Father is in control of everything? He sees the sparrow fall. He knows and He controls everything that happens to us. And not only does He care about the big problems and situations of life, He cares about the small details. Now, when I think about God's providence, and we see it throughout the Scriptures, no doubt about that, but one of the greatest examples on the problems of God is the story of Joseph. Anybody remember Joseph? Now, think about this, okay? Somebody once said, the problem with life is it's so daily. Isn't that true? Now, you've heard me say it before, and I'll say it again. That's one reason I don't do Facebook. I don't care what you had for breakfast. Uh, now, let me insert something here. Pam does do Facebook. Uh, and Alan Lavenda, I do appreciate the pictures you put on. I, I did enjoy them. I was upset because I didn't go with you, but I got over it. But I enjoyed that. But I don't care what you're going to have for breakfast tomorrow. Because the truth is, life itself so often is mundane. We're in routines. But travel with me tonight. I've got the verses on our outline. One of the first things we read about Joseph is a dream. Genesis 37, verse 5. And Joseph dreamed a dream. And he told his, it his brethren. And they hated him yet the more. They didn't like him anyway. He's about 17 years old. And he has a dream that one day his entire family will bow down to him. And, you know, what does it mean? And how in the world could that come to pass? So we had a dream, then there was a scheme. By the way, sometimes when you're studying Scripture, it falls automatically, right? I thought, wow, that works. Ryan, dream and a scheme. Genesis 37, 27. 
these are the brothers, come let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. And let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother in our flesh. And his brethren were content. The original plan was to kill Joseph. Now Reuben had a plan. They put him in a pit to kill him later. And Reuben planned to come back and get him and rescue him. The oldest son of Jacob. But when he got there, got back, Joseph was gone. And so the original plan to kill was aborted. Happened to, a caravan happened to come along and they sold Joseph. Verse 28, the transaction. Then there passed by Midianites merchantmen. And they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. So Joseph was sold for the average price of a slave. And the Bible says he was brought to Egypt. So now this favorite son and favored son is now a slave. Verse 36, Genesis 37. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt under Potiphar, an officer of the pharaohs and a captain of the guard. Now think about this. These Midianites took him out of Egypt and he sold to one of the officers the pharaohs. And then in chapter 39, verse 7, we see a temptation. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, lie with me. Now, by the way, this wasn't just a one-time thing. It went on for several days. So Joseph is seduced by his master Pharaoh's, uh, his uh, by Potiphar's wife, his master's wife, and Joseph rejected her. Of course, she's mad. Verse seventeen of chapter thirty-nine. There's a false accusation. When Potiphar comes home, she spake unto him according to these words, saying. The Hebrew servant, which thou hast brought unto us, came in unto me to mock me. He's falsely accused. Let's pause for a moment here. What about the dream? What's it look like now? What's it look like now? So now in verse 20 of chapter 39, he's a prisoner. And Joseph's master, Potiphar, took him, put him into the prison. A place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. Now, I confess, I didn't do a detailed study on verse 20 to look at all the nuances of it, but it says there, not just any prison, a prison where the king's prisoners were kept. And there he was. And while he's in prison, there were two dreams. Chapter 40, verse 5. 
And they dreamed a dream, both of them. Each man his dream in one night. Each man according to the interpretation of his dream. The butler and the baker, the king of Egypt. Which were bound in the prison. You know the story. Joseph interpreted those dreams. I didn't put on my notes, but it dawned on me to say there was another dream, a third dream, and that was Pharaoh himself. A dream that troubled him. A dream that no one could interpret. And all of a sudden, The butler realized, oh, I've made a mistake. I promised Joseph I would give a good word about him. I forgot all about him, Pharaoh. But he interpreted both of our dreams, and both came true. He can interpret your dream. Chapter 41, verse 30, and there shall arise after them seven years of famine. And all the punish shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine shall consume the land. What about the dream? When's it going to happen? When's it going to come true? Chapter 1, I'm sorry, chapter 41, verse 40 of promotion. Thou shalt be over my house and According to thy word, shall my people be ruled only in the throne will I be greater than you. Charles Spurgeon, in one of his sermons, Addresses this issue in Joseph's life. And in one particular sermon, he asked a series of questions. And you know that early on in the story, Jacob sends Joseph to his brothers. And the question Charles Spurgeon had was, why did Jacob want to send Joseph? You know he knew the hostility between the brothers. You know Jacob knew they didn't like him, like Joseph. The next question that he asked was, why were Joseph's brothers on this particular day in a different location? Remember, Joseph went down to where they were, and they weren't there. So he asked, where are they? Well, they're in Dothan now. So why did the Ishmaelites come along when they did? Now, these were merchants. And they were in the business of buying and selling. Why were they in the mood to purchase a slave? 
why were they headed to Egypt rather than somewhere else? Why did Potiphar buy Joseph? Why did Potiphar's wife have eyes for Joseph? Why were the baker and cupbearer in the same prison where Joseph was? Why couldn't Pharaoh or somebody else interpret the dreams he had? Or even remember the dreams. If you know the story, Joseph said, here's what you dreamed. You dreamed about seven fat cows, seven skinny cows. And why did the cupbearer remember Joseph? Now think about this with me. If we had never read the story before, and if we read through the story of Joseph, each one of those events seemed unconnected. But each one of those, what we thought were unconnected events, They had to happen in a particular way at the right time to preserve his famine in Egypt during the great famine in Canaan. My friend, you cannot read the story of Joseph and not see the providence of God. God's hand was in it. You know the verse, Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. We looked at Joseph's life, and I would ask you tonight, those things that happened to Joseph, were they all good? In fact, most of them were not. But everything finally worked out together for the good, according to God's purpose. And again, when Jesus talked about the sparrows and the hair on our head, God can be seen in little things. Little events that seem to have no connection. 1 Kings 20, verse 28 Israel had been to battle with the Syrians. And Israel had beaten the Syrians. And the Syrians thought, away. And the problem is this. We were fighting in the wrong place. Look what it says. And there came a man of God and spoke unto the king of Israel and said, Thus saith the Lord, Because the Syrians have said, The Lord is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. 
Therefore, I, therefore will I deliver all this great multitude into thine hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Seer just said, you know, the reason we lost that battle, we were fighting them on the hills. And their God is only the God of the hills. This time, let's go to battle in the valley and we'll beat them there because their God is not the God of the valley. Will they write? No. You see, the God of the hills is the God of the valley. And the God of the big things in life is also the God of small things in life. Now think about this. The God who hung the stars in the sky and gave everyone a name is the same God who counts the number of hairs on our head. And I don't know about you, but I catch myself thinking, well, I, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, wow. Lord, this is so big. This is so large, I'm not sure that I can bring this to you. But then i got to remember, everything is small to God. Everything. They're all small to Him. God is good all the time, folks. He doesn't forget us. And the third principle is this. When trouble does come, never forget that God still loves you. Matthew 10, 31. Here's Jesus' conclusion. Fear ye not, therefore. You are more value than many sparrows. Tiny sparrows. Jesus said two for a penny. Worth so little. And our God cares about them. How many know tonight... As individuals, we are worth more than a bushel of sparrows to God. How do I know that? Because Jesus didn't die for sparrows. He died for us. He died for us. So where does this leave us? Number one, three things. It ought to give us boldness, confidence in the time of trouble. If God be for you, how in the world can we be afraid of anything? Why should we fear anything or anyone? So it gives us boldness, confidence in the time of trouble. Number two, it should give us confidence when we're confused. Wow. Alan, I can't get your prayer because of my mind. What a what a 
unsettling place to be. And so many things in life are unclear. So many things are uncertain. So many things undecided. And the fact of the matter is, we have more questions than we have answers. This morning, right after we got up, got up this morning, Pam looked at the window. She said, oh, it's awful foggy out there today. And it was. But so much of life, it seems like stumbling through the deep fog of so many dangerous circumstances. We've got to take confidence. And we've got to keep moving forward with God. The third thing is, it should give us hope in the time of sorrow. And we weep. All of us weep. Behind closed doors, often in the middle of the night, tears will flow. Even in the private moments of life. We weep when we face death. We weep over the loss of a loved one, and we should. Our lives are confused. But how many know that even death itself is in the hands of God? So why should we shake? Why should we fear? If we put our confidence and trust in God, it will calm our hearts. So the bottom line is this. Do we believe that God controls everything or not? Do we believe that things happen not by mistake? but to fulfill God's will. And let me make a final point real quick and we're done. We are free will Baptists. And we are distinct from most Baptists And we believe that God has given us a free will to make choices. And so as a free will Baptist, we truly and deeply believe in free moral choices for which we will also be held accountable. But we also agree with what the Bible says, along with that. That all things work together as a part of God's unfolding plan of redemption. Now, I've heard people ask about it. I've heard theologians address this issue, and I've shared it before. 
How do you put together man's free will and God's providence? You can't put them together, but it's there. It is there. But church, understand this. I wouldn't want to live another day if I didn't think God was in control. Let's stand together. Father, we're thankful tonight for a God who cares about the smallest details of our life. We are thankful, Lord, that nothing enters our lives that doesn't first pass through your hands. So, Lord, when life is difficult, When confusion comes, help us to trust in a God who always does what is right. Father, I pray that we will run to Jesus, the one who cares about the sparrow and numbers the hairs on our head, knowing that he cares for me individually. Father, I pray that you'll speak to the hearts of those who are weeping tonight. Those who are anxious. And Father, you would give them the peace of God that passes all understanding. And remind us, Lord, to give you the praise and the glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.